Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're a saving God. You've saved us from our sins. Father, I thank you for songs that really connect with us, not only what we're feeling and experiencing, but also what we, what we know, what we know to be true. We believe you, and there are songs that emphasize that and remind us of that, God. And Father, now we come to look at your word, see what you're saying and what you're doing, to hear your truth. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless it, that you would give us ears to hear and, and eyes to see, spiritually, ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, thank you for Jesus. May we see him at work yet again from the gospel of Mark. In his name we pray, amen. If you would please turn the Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right. You can use the pew Bible there, the black one, and it would be page 931. 931 in the pew Bible, Mark chapter 10. I want to say, Joe, great job with that. I'd never heard that song before, and y'all, he, he surprised me with that. I didn't know that they were going to sing that. That is a song written just off the passage that we're going to look at today, right? The blind, the blind beggar saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and God heals him. That's our passage, and yet uh, Joe knows a song that is about that, and that's, that's outstanding. Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 46 to 52. It seems like we've been in chapter 10 for a long time, and we have. We're moving right along through Mark, and as you can see, starting next week in chapter 11 is the triumphal entry as Jesus heads into Jerusalem, and he is headed to the cross. He is heading to dying. But one of the things that keeps coming up, especially all the way back to chapter 8, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, is the idea of discipleship and the cost of following Christ. And really at the heart of it, we know there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but what is a real Christian? And it is someone who follows Christ. And this is the, the, the subject in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And we're right now at the end of chapter 10, and it's a, uh, an interesting passage for as simple as it is. Interesting passage for us to see how it fits with all that we've seen. But we cannot miss the big obvious, and that song said it well. Jesus changes people. I hope that you're here today knowing Jesus changes people. I hope you're here today as, as Joe and the rest up here were singing that song that you were thinking, Jesus saved me too. It's, un, it's unbelievable to me how often I get asked, how did you become a preacher? Is that what your dad does? People ask me that all the time. Whether I'm back in North Carolina where I'm from or whether I'm here in, in Louisville, Kentucky, people are always saying to me, how did you become a preacher? Is that what your dad does? Were you raised in church or something like that? And as y'all know, no, not hardly, not hardly. My dad kind of chuckles at the idea that this is all that I can do. 
And that's okay, right? That's okay. (laughs) Without any other explanation, I'm a minister because God made me one. And I don't know any other explanation. But God made me a minister after he made me his child. After he made me a Christian. He saved me. and changed my life. And today is Eli's birthday. April the 30th. He was born in 2009. So Eli turns 8 today. And we had a party for him yesterday, and I got to pray with him yesterday, and then this morning's his birthday, and I got to pray with him this morning. And both times, I found myself getting quite emotional praying with Eli about how special it is that that he put Eli in our family. That's our son. And we love him, and he means a lot to us. And if you've got children, you know exactly what I mean. I don't mean he's any more special than any of yours. I mean he's special to us, just like yours are special to you. And that's really neat, as you know. But the reason why God did that is that our children would love Jesus. That's the reason why God gave us children. That's the reason why God gave you children. So all of our efforts and energies and every bit of us are to go into teaching them to know and love Jesus. And we know and we believe that Jesus is a life changer. And in our passage today, kind of coming after all of the ups and downs that we see in discipleship, we see Jesus change a man's life, both physically and spiritually. Before we leave today, ask yourself, has Jesus changed your life? I don't mean so much on the outside, but I certainly mean on the inside. And if you know that Jesus has not changed your heart and life, then would you today seek him? Would you look to Christ today? Read with me at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving, Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Blind Bartimaeus. The blind beggar. This passage is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The passage Austin read is the Luke account. 
There are multiple uh, stories in the gospel of of Jesus healing blind people. This is already the second one uh, in Mark. They're not all the same. Many are. But this is blind Bartimaeus here. And I want to give you two points today. Uh, The first is there is a needy begging life. A needy begging life. And that's Bartimaeus. And the second point is that there is a merciful giving Lord. A merciful giving Lord. And that is... Jesus. Let's walk through the passage. As I've told you many times, they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho, as I've told you many times, Jesus is on the go. By now, you've heard me say it week after week, he is on his way to Jerusalem. And as the passage tells you, coming right next in chapter 11, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, do you see that? Jesus was on the go. We knew that his time has come. We, knew that Je- we know that Jesus is heading to the cross. We know that Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins. And the triumphal entry is like Palm Sunday when Jesus is just a week away from dying on the cross and rising from the grave. That is coming. And so if you will, in Mark's account, this is Jesus' last thing before he enters Jerusalem. This is the last last miracle of Jesus. This is his last miracle, except for coming back to life and rising from the grave, the resurrection, except for perhaps his biggest, right? But this is his last one. It's fascinating. He's been traveling and traveling and traveling, and like the passage tells us, there was a great crowd there, as you could only imagine. We've seen many passages where it presents to us that there were believers that were following him, and then there were passages where there are great crowds following him just because they're interested. Lots of people are along for the show. Lots of people are just curious. Many people are believing, and then you've got the 12 disciples that are there too. It's a huge crowd, and they've been traveling, and they've entered into Jericho. Jericho is recorded as one of the oldest cities in the world. We also know Jericho from the Old Testament, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Y'all know that story, right? And the walls came tumbling down. You're familiar with that, right? This is Jericho. It's been built back. It is, it is strong. There are many, many people there, and Jesus has gone there. And now he's leaving there, and there's a huge crowd. It's kind of like a parade, if you will. And every fall in September, we have our Fairdale Parade where the streets are lined and, and everybody comes down into the Fairdale Fair, but there are bigger parades in the, world, in the world than the Fairdale Fair. And you've seen how crowded those can be. It doesn't tell us it's a parade, but it sort of gives the picture that it's a parade, that there's a gigantic crowd there, and they're on the move. And then, and then there on the side of the road is this man, Bartimaeus. And he is a blind beggar. I said my first point is a needy begging life, and Bartimaeus is just that. He is a needy person. He is a begging person, and he can't even see. I know you're familiar with beggars. We have spots all over our city where people are begging and churches even all over Fairdale have people come by on a regular basis. I bet we average more than one person a day coming by church, begging, asking for things. Had a man this week come by and ask for money. We had uh, a man come by last week and ask for prayer. We have people come by all the time asking for food. People come by asking for things all the time. 
But I can think of several spots in Louisville that almost every single time I'm there, there's somebody on the corner with a sign that says, um, need, need help, anything will do. Outside of Oxmoor Mall, there's always somebody at that stoplight. Outside of Fern Creek, Walmart, White Castle, Moe's, outside of there, there is always somebody at that intersection. No matter when you go, there's always somebody there asking for help. We're familiar with people that beg. In America, we don't have a lot, though, if we're honest about that. But if you travel the world and go to some of these third world countries, there are people begging everywhere by the hundreds at every stoplight. They will line up at your car. If you're 10, 10 cars back at a stoplight, there will be people knocking on your window at every single stoplight asking for things. There are lots of beggars in the world. But Bartimaeus is different than that. He is blind, so he's not able to, to go to your window and do like this or, or do like that, like, like I've seen them do many times. Bartimaeus just has to post up somewhere and sit down perhaps on a mat or a chair or, or on a bucket, if you will, right? Just sit there and perhaps jingle a, a cup. Or, or wave his hand, or just say something like, help me, help me. That's, that's Bartimaeus, and he's, he's there begging. He is needy. But it tells us here who his dad is. Now, if you know much, it says Bartimaeus, and we have learned many times that Bar is just meaning the son of. And you've heard that before, right? You remember Simon Barjona, right? You remember Barnabas? You've heard this many times, that the Bar is just meaning son of. And you see that because his name is Bartimaeus, and his dad's name is Timaeus. So that makes good sense. But I started wondering, why is it that it tells us this? Well, one great preacher, John MacArthur, says that he thinks what Mark is doing is he is making sure everybody knows, listen to me, he's making sure everybody knows who this guy is, that he is a key player in church history in the Bible. Did you know this? We don't have any other healing in the Gospel of Mark where it tells us their name. This is the only healing in the Gospel of Mark where it tells us our name. And, and John MacArthur says that what Mark's trying to do is it wants us to know who this guy is. You need to know him, you need to remember him, and not just his name, perhaps there are other Bartimaeuses, but... This is Timaeus' son, Bartimaeus, is what he's saying. John MacArthur went on to say perhaps he was there. As it says at the end of the passage that he followed him, he said perhaps he kept following him into the triumphal entry as they entered Jerusalem. Perhaps he stayed with Jesus all week and was at the cross on Good Friday. Perhaps he was in the upper room and he was part of the 120. Can you imagine this Bartimaeus? He's a key player. Maybe that's why we know his name. As I was thinking, though, I was also wanted, wanted us to remind ourselves that even poor, needy beggars are children that have mothers and fathers, right? The next time you drive through an intersection and somebody's sitting out there holding a sign, I want you to remind yourself that that person has a mom or a dad somewhere, or they did. They're somebody from some family. This is a reminder here too, which kind of draws you in, does it not? There's a dad out there named Timaeus. And this is his son who is blind, who now sits on the side of the road basically all day begging by the roadside. Verse 47, Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he had heard. The other passage tells us that he asks, who, who is it? 
What's happening? What's, What's the ruckus? See, he was able to hear. He wasn't able to see, but he was able to hear. And as you could often imagine, that people who aren't able to see have really good hearing, and so they can understand a lot better about what's going on because they have one less sense than people who can see. They're not able to see, but they're certainly able to hear. And they told him that it was Jesus of Nazareth. They give Jesus, they tell him that it's Jesus, but they seem to know Jesus based off of where Jesus is from. What's his identity? He is the boy that was raised in Nazareth. It is Jesus of Nazareth, it says. But notice that now blind Bartimaeus begins to cry out, and he doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth. Instead, he cries out, Jesus, son of David. He was told Jesus of Nazareth, but he yelled out, Jesus, son of David, which lets us know that Bartimaeus knew something about Jesus. He knew that he was more than just a person from Nazareth. He knew that he was king. Think about this. The Old Testament has taught us that there is a king that is greater than all other kings. The Old Testament has taught us that there is a king of kings who will reign over his kingdom. Listen to this passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7, right? Where David is told from God, listen to this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. They're telling David, David, after you die as king, your kingdom will grow. Your kingdom will go on. Listen to this. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Listen to this. Your throne shall be established forever. It's an Old Testament promise that you and I are so familiar with this. That King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, King David is going to have a son one day that will be king forever. And the New Testament tells us this in Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus is that king. Jesus is the fulfillment of being the one in the David line that would reign on the throne forever. That's who Jesus is. And listen, Bartimaeus knew it. Bartimaeus knew that. While the crowds were saying, uh, it's Jesus of Nazareth coming and there's a lot of people following him, when blind begging Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, he rejoices because the son of David is coming. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that outstanding? Blind Bartimaeus knew something about Jesus. You know what I'm thinking of right now? That you don't have to have physical eyesight to know who Jesus is is. J.C. Ryle says, we too are not allowed to see Jesus with our bodily eyes, right? We've never seen him. I've never seen Jesus, and I just told you how much he's changed my life, and I've never seen him. He says, we too are not allowed to see Jesus with our bodily eyes, but we have the report of his power and the report of his grace and his willingness to save in the gospel. We know who he is, we know what he's like, and we know how gracious he is to forgive sinners like us. Bartimaeus had never seen him, but he knew who he was. He believed in him. Let me remind you something in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which you've never thought about it on this level before. Faith comes from hearing. Doesn't that sound good in a passage about blind Bartimaeus? Faith comes from hearing. It doesn't come from sight. You may have never seen him. Bartimaeus has never seen him. But he knew who he was, and he believed in him. 
Verse 47 says that when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried it out. He, he yelled it out. Verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. He was an outcast, wasn't he? I've seen many times where somebody that's hungry and begging without food has just walked into a fast food restaurant perhaps to just get a free water. There's a McDonald's downtown on Broadway. Everybody knows that McDonald's, right? Every time you're in that McDonald's on Broadway, there are, there are like poor, homeless, needy people inside of there. And I've seen many times the managers tell them they're not allowed to be there. Your presence here in this building seems to bring discomfort to so many of our customers, right? It's that sort of concept that we have going on here. There's Jesus is here, and he is heading to Jerusalem, and he is the great one, and there are crowds around him, and this guy hasn't gotten up. He's still sitting there, and he's a blind beggar, and no doubt he's an outcast, and perhaps for these people, they've seen people like him all the time. Perhaps they've even seen him before, and so many just start rebuking him, telling him to be silent. In other words, you're not important enough to be involved in this big ordeal. It's not the first time we've seen it. Look over just a few passages to Luke, uh, to stay right here. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. You remember that one just a couple weeks ago? Same thing, right? This is Jesus, man. This is important. It's a big deal. And, and I'm kind of feeling like a big deal because I'm around Jesus. And anybody who's not as big deal as me, let's just keep them out of the way. This sort of thing, status, if you will. We want ourselves to feel important. We want ourselves to feel special. So somebody that we think is beneath us, we just marginalize even more. It, hit, it hits home with how much of a problem Christians in America have with caring for the poor. It hits home with how much of a problem church people have with caring for the poor. It's so easy to to, to look down upon them. It's so easy to see a gap between us and them. And yet, y'all, the New Testament, the Gospels won't allow us to do that. Listen, our Lord Jesus will not allow us to do that. We are to be a people who are burdened for them regardless of what got them there. We must understand this, church. The more and more that we distance ourselves from needy people, the more and more we're not helping people. The more and more we're not like Jesus. We don't know who yelled out here in verse 48. Many rebuked him and telling him to be silent. But as I read that, I just think, oh, goodness, that's ugly. That hurts. Would that have been us? I have heard many times here in Fairdale and around our church when I've asked if you thought about inviting somebody to church and answer something like nah they, 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 church ain't really for them they wouldn't really like church why not is it the way they dress or the, the way they smell or the way they act or perhaps the way they talk I have heard many times, I just heard a guest tell me this Easter Sunday, and you too, that when a guest is here or something like that, or you invite somebody to church, their reply is, oh, I don't know, that building might collapse on me. You've heard that before, right? To which our first reply ought to be, if it would collapse on you, then it's already collapsed on me. 
It's what we should be thinking. Folks, there's not an ounce of goodness in us causing God to keep this building standing. Let me take it a step further. Apart from the grace of God, there's not an ounce of goodness in us that's any better than the blind beggars that live out in Fairdale. I said it last week and I'll say it again. If you're thinking that way, get over yourself. Life is about God. It's not about you patting yourself on the back because you think there's some goodness in you. Blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming. He's sitting there needy. He's begging. And somebody has the audacity to tell him to stop. Not for you. Who says? Who's in charge of saying who needy Jesus is for? Or or, or life-giving Jesus is for? Who's in charge of saying who the sin forgiver is for? Who's in charge of that? Listen to this. In 2003, I started here. And there were like two teenagers in the church. And I wanted so badly for God to help us reach some young people. And we went years and years without reaching many at all. Years and years and years with nobody baptized or anything like that. But I remember in 2003, and I'm sure Emily Stivers would remember this. It was a Wednesday night and we had dinner here and two boys rode by. They are probably about 14. They rode by on their bikes. And I went outside and called them like I've tried many, many, many times. I said, would y'all like to eat? We've got free dinner inside. And they came in and went down here on a Wednesday night and had dinner and it was awkward. Me, a lot of older people and two teenagers off the street on their bikes. I worked and tried to be cool. It didn't work. I tried to be nice. It didn't work. I told them I was about to do a little Bible study if they wanted to stay. They didn't. They ate. They left. And over the years, now it's been 14 years, I've seen those two guys coming and going. Heroin addicts, alcoholics, prison. Just got done serving 18 months in prison. I know those guys. They're still around here. Homeless, panhandling. I know those guys. They were here in our church about 14 years ago eating on a Wednesday night. And over the years, I've thought to myself, like, I want so badly for people like that to know Jesus. I want so badly to help them and pour into their lives and make a difference. And it's not happening. This Thursday, we had ladies' Bible study, and I got finished. And I was standing back there watching some people play ping pong, I think. And a guy walked in, nice uniform, shirt tucked in, belt on, clean shaven, haircut. I did a double take and a triple take, and I said, is that who I think it is? He walked up to me, and he said, I'm such and such. I said, I know who you are. He said, I'm 18 months sober. Jesus is working in my life. I got a church I go to. I said, do you remember me? He said, yeah, I I remember you. 
Y'all, Jesus changes lives of drug addicts, people in prison, people that we think are gone. He does. And when I read here in verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. What is their goal? What are they hoping for? What's the end? What, what do they have in mind? What do they labor for? I was reminded of a quote this week from Josh Womble shared where it said that the government feared this man's prayers, speaking of a couple hundred years ago. Or the queen, I think it was, feared this man's prayers. To which Josh Womble asked, Does anybody fear your prayers? Are you praying for people like that to get saved? Do you believe that God can change people's lives like that? Or by your actions, maybe not your words, you may not be as bold or, or, or as crude as to say, stop it, Jesus isn't for you like it sounds like here in verse 48, but perhaps we are by our actions in that we don't pray for people, don't love people, don't get involved in people's lives. We have a needy, begging life here. And many tell him to be silent, and they stopped him. But look what it says in verse 48. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture this? Can you picture a huge caravan of people walking down the road, and all of the noise and commotion that there was, and a little man blind and begging, if he's sitting down, then nobody's going to be able to see him. He's right here. Y'all can't even see me. But he's crying out, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And they're saying, just stop it, just stop it. You would think that the main event of the parade is not even going to see him but he keeps screaming and you've got this picture of Jesus, Jesus have mercy on me, son of David have mercy on me and everybody else is like man what is this guy, man stop, you're going to disrupt our comfort man, we're walking with this guy, stop it Jesus, Jesus have mercy on me he keeps crying out and he keeps crying out because why? because he knows who Jesus is Perhaps you've been crying out in your prayers day and night. And perhaps some people are telling you you need to stop or slow down or give it a break. Perhaps you've got a heart for somebody or for something and you continue to seek the Lord on it and it seems like you should stop. But then you're reminded that you know who Jesus is and you know what he did to your life and you know how he changes people. And so you too, like blind Bartimaeus, should keep crying out. J.C. Ryle says, once let a man see his own guilt as it really is and he will never rest till he has found pardon and peace in Christ. They may have tried to shut Bartimaeus up, but Bartimaeus said, right there knowing that Jesus is coming by right here is not going to stop because he knows as I hope you know there is only one hope and only one comfort for lost needy people like you and I and like Bartimaeus and that is Jesus and I said it last week that you will never ultimately help anybody until you have helped them find Jesus and Bartimaeus knows that he can have as many coins dropped in his cup and he can have as many people pat him on the back and he can have as many kind people come by and say their prayers for him. But until Bartimaeus sees Jesus, he's never going to recover his sight. He needs Jesus and he knows that all so well. Commentator Edward says, what Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, 
he makes up for with insight. Isn't that good? He may not be able to see Jesus, but he knows Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't it interesting that that's his prayer? Or that's his cry? Because when we hear, have mercy on me, we think, don't do to me what I deserve, right? If a cop pulls you over for speeding, he should give you a ticket. If he says, I'm not going to give you a ticket, then he had mercy on you, right? Why is he crying out that? Isn't in this age of entitlement where everybody thinks we deserve something, shouldn't he be saying, hey guys, I mean, I just don't have it as good as you all. At least I can get us some eyesight here, right? Shouldn't he be acting like that? Doesn't he deserve to see like all of us would say about somebody that we have pity on? No. And even Bartimaeus doesn't think that. Bartimaeus knows that God's the one who gives out eyesight, and Bartimaeus is saying, have mercy on me. He's not saying, God, you made me like this, won't you fix it? Like I hear many, many, many people say. I hear many people talk to God that way. We saw the thief on the cross mock Jesus as he looks that way and says, if you're really God, won't you get us down here and save us, right? This attitude of you're going to talk to God on your own terms and try to put God in his place is so evident of your proud, big, sinful heart. And we see none of this. In the suffering, lowly, outcast, blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is there on the side of the road, hurting, lonely. Nobody cares about him. The high of his day is when somebody drops some money in his cup. And that's all he does every single day. That's blind Bartimaeus' job. Just sit there. And his cry to Jesus is, have mercy on me. We've got a needy, begging life, but we've also got a merciful, giving Lord. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. (laughs) Folks, if you haven't fallen in love with King Jesus, read, keep reading. When's the last time you saw a parade stop because of a beggar on the side of the road? When's the last time you saw a man on a mission stop because the lowly person was more important? I've never seen it. I can tell you what, every time I see somebody begging on the side of the road, I start talking to myself, well, I got places to be, I got people to be, I can't be late, I got to hurry and get there. I'm trying to talk myself out of all the reasons why I can't stop. I know that when somebody asks for a dollar, I start making excuses why I can't give up a dollar. Jesus stopped. I wonder what all the people that were in verse 48 who were telling him to be silent, I wonder what they said now. Because Jesus stopped for this guy. Have you read enough of the Bible? Have you been here enough to, to hear me preach over and over again to see that this is what Jesus is like? Y'all, this is why he has changed the world over and over because there's nobody like him. He's the God-man that changes people's lives. It's, the Bible's already told us that he is on a mission to Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, it says that his hour had come. He knew that his hour had come. He had set his face toward Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. He know, John chapter 13 says that Jesus knew that it was time for 
for him to depart out of this world and go to the Father. That's how intentional it was for Jesus to get to the cross. He knew that. And on that mission, which you would think is a pretty big mission, that Jesus stops. It's awesome. It's similar back to, look at Mark chapter 10, verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. You would think that getting all these children involved was going to disrupt the plan, but not with God. You would think that a blind beggar is going to disrupt the plan, but not with God. Jesus stopped. Do you remember when the rich young ruler right here in chapter 10 came to Jesus? Look back with me at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, same thing, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all this I have kept from my youth, to which every one of us gasp and think, Oh my word, how arrogant is this guy. Look at verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The next time somebody at your work is bragging about how great they are and how obedient to God they are and just how special and great they are, remember 1021. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And challenge yourself to love your neighbor the way Jesus loves you. Chapter 10, verse 49 Jesus stopped. And Jesus said, call him. In other words, bring him here. And they called, y'all. Uh, you know, the book form's always better than the movie form, but I sure wish we could see the movie form of this. Jesus stopped, said, call him, and they called the blind man. Bartimaeus, our bad. We were telling you to be quiet. We were rebuking you. We were saying, shut up. We don't have time for you. But he wants to see you, so come on up, Bartimaeus. And look what it says. It says that he... Well, they said, take heart, get up. He is calling you, verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, a blind man couldn't spring up and, and run to Jesus on his own, so somebody had to take him there. He wouldn't have known whether to go right or left or up or down or, or which way because he couldn't see. So somebody had to guide him there, but they did that, and he made it to Jesus. And folks, now we have. All that stuff's background. Now we have what our lives are really about, connecting Jesus with people. All that we've seen so far is about blind Bartimaeus and about who he knows Jesus to be. But now the passage has brought us, brought the two together. Verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's interesting that Jesus would say that, right? Surely he knows. But Bartimaeus hasn't asked for anything yet except mercy. Isn't that cool? Surely he knows that this guy needs to see, but he hasn't been asking for that. He's, he said he just needs mercy. 
Bartimaeus seems to understand, listen to me, Bartimaeus seems to understand more about his condition than the average person, right? I know you're thinking you need to win the lottery, but really you need Jesus. I know you're thinking that you just need to catch this break and get that job or get this enemy out of your life or, or get this thing going or learn to do this or learn to do that. I know we are often praying about things that aren't going to matter in a thousand years, but what you really, really, really need is for a heart that would be content in Jesus that understands the forgiveness of sins. That's what we all need. Bartimaeus has just been saying, have mercy on me. So Jesus asked him a question, what do you want me to do for you? But I hope that you remember from just last week, this is the exact same question from verse 36. Look at verse 36. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And you remember their horrible, bogus requests. Oh, Lord, grant that we might sit on your right and on your left when we get into your kingdom. That's what they wanted. God, we got a, we got a request. Okay, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, I want you to elevate us to the status where everybody will see us, where we'll get attention, where we'll get uh, praised, we'll get honors. We want to be up there. We don't need to be like middle where you are, but we do want to be up there. We want to get something out of this. I want to make sure it's doing something for me, Jesus. What, what's in it for me, and here's what we want for us. Make us look good is what their request was. And praise God, as you know, Jesus did not answer that. But the exact same question comes to blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let me see. Bartimaeus knows that Jesus can make him see if he wants to. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. God makes blind people see like that. He's done it many times. Bartimaeus knows that he can do it. Bartimaeus has come to Jesus, folks, believing. He's come by faith knowing that he is the savior of the world, that he's the savior of sinners, that he's the king of kings, that he is the fulfillment of the Davidic line of a king on the throne forever. He knows all of that and he believes all of that and he has found the one that he believes in and he says to him, would you let me see? And Jesus loves it. Jesus loves it. Jesus says in verse 52, go your way. Your faith has made you When it says here, your faith has made you well, it's got this idea, or, or he was healed, or, or he, he was saved. But I want you to know that the very word there means he was saved. And there is a, a Greek word that means he was healed, and Mark did not use this word. He uses the word that means he was saved and he was healed. What Mark is wanting us to know, that his faith in Christ was not only a faith to give him physical eyesight, but was also a faith that said, I believe in you. I know who you are. I know what I need. I know that I'm needy, and I know that you give it. I know that you are a merciful, giving Lord, and that's why I'm crying out, have mercy on me. And, and whether you fix my eyes or not, God, that's not the most important thing to me. I need you. And Bartimaeus knew all of this and Jesus saved him I want you to know here today that if Jesus has not changed your life then you can come to him today crying out Lord have mercy on me a sinner save my life and he will 
If you have never gone public with saying, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow Jesus, I need to be forgiven, I need God to forgive me of my sins, I want him to make my life whole, he can do that. Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus is such an example for us in this passage of what it means to not be able to see and then come and find your eyesight. And now for us, and, and matter of fact, for every single person here, because I don't think we have anybody blind here today, for every single one of us here, we don't need physical eyesight. But the Bible also teaches us that until Christ opened your eyes spiritually, you will never see and understand. And some of you are trying to figure out life, but you have not come to Christ seeking him as Lord to forgive you of your sins and put you on the right path. You haven't. And so you still fail to see. I told you at the beginning that chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 are all about discipleship, right? Let me show you just a few things. At chapter 8, verse 27, if you can remember all the way back to there, this is when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Do you remember that passage? Who do people say that I am? So this is is the very heart of discipleship. Who do you think Jesus is, right? And there's that big discussion, and Peter gives the answer, you are the Christ, which was a good answer. But then immediately after that, Jesus starts describing to them what believers in Jesus must understand That he would need to be killed and suffer and be beaten and then killed and rise again on the third day. And right after that happens in chapter 8, that's when Peter rebukes Jesus. So he didn't understand. A huge flaw in the discipleship of Peter, him following Jesus, is he didn't understand that the Jesus that he believed in was going to have to die for his sins. He didn't get it. So Jesus then speaks up in chapter 8, verse 39 and says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's that very passage. Okay? It's discipleship. It goes a little bit further and you have in, in verse 33 of chapter 9, they're discussing who's the greatest. All right? They're wrong. Okay? You get over to chapter 10. And you remember, he starts talking about temptation to sin and don't give in to sin. That's the end of chapter 9. But then you get into chapter 10, you've got all these big, heavy subjects like marriage and divorce and remarriage and adultery and sexual sin and then children and parenting and the importance of them and then money with the rich young ruler. And you remember me telling you about a church member who called and said, hey, it's kind of odd, isn't it, that in chapter 8 and chapter 9 he's talking about all this discipleship stuff and then in chapter 10 he starts talking about all this practical stuff. What do the two go together? And I just kind of smiled like, uh, what, how do they not go together, right? Following Christ is all of that, right? It's not just saying that you're a Christian, it's living it out faithfully for Jesus. And then you get to chapter 10 and you have all of that. And you've got the rich young man who was sad because he, wasn't, he didn't know Jesus. And he thought that he deserved heaven based off of how good he was instead of having Jesus, right? And then Jesus predicts his death again. Then you've got James and John, his two disciples that were very close to him, making that unreal request and you're disappointed in them. And what I'm trying to say is chapter 8, they don't understand discipleship. Chapter 9, they don't understand discipleship. Chapter 10, they don't understand discipleship. They have not understood that it's all about Jesus. And to the extent that you are loving and following Jesus is the extent that you're a Christian. And to the extent that you are not loving and following Jesus is to the extent that you are not a Christian. That's what the Bible wants us to understand. It's all about Jesus. And right before the triumphal entry, to put us all in our place, it's not Peter, it's not James, 
It's not John. It's not the rich young ruler. It's the blind beggar Bartimaeus who's able to teach us what we need to learn so mercifully no matter what. Jesus, have mercy on me. I got a friend here in Louisville. African-American guy too, good guy. He's a preacher. He does a lot of prison ministry. And for people who've ever done prison ministry, they say there's nothing like it. I've been to prisons before but never done prison ministry and I hear it's just out of this world how God is working truly in the prison. And he, he's a big, strong, tough guy, he gets to go in and talk with the rougher guys in prison. And just this week, he told this story. He said, God is working so much in the prison, truly changing people's lives. And he had this quote from an inmate. said, I know that people call this death row because we're here to die. We're not getting out. We're going to die here. Listen to this. He said, I know that people call this death row, but we call this life row. It was through this that Christ has saved us and has given us life. All of us who are in here now that believe in Jesus, we have found life in Christ, and now we have it together. To us, it's not death row. To us, it's life row. Even here, Jesus has changed our lives. And praise God, you're not on death row. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible tells us that those that will be in heaven will be few, and those that will not will be many. There's one, one criteria for getting to heaven. Jesus. You need Jesus. Today, would you surrender to him and believe upon him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for blind Bartimaeus, how he teaches us so much. A needy sinner and a merciful Lord. Father, thank you for the scriptures as they continue to teach us. And thank you for Jesus and his love for people like that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.